I failed to mention this, but these flowers in the sanctuary are placed to the glory of God um, by Corbett uh, Jobert in celebration of Dot's birthday on August the 16th. So if you know Dot, be sure and uh, wish her a happy birthday this week, and we give thanks to God. The flowers in the back today are for, I think, um, our oldest member, I <laughs> think. Ruth Priester's 105th birthday um, is on August the 15th. And she's still just a joy to talk with and amazing um, person. I'll be visiting her this week and it'll be a, be a lot of fun. She is a, a super person. Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth glorify you, um, edify your people, and set us free to do your work in this world through the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to see you, God. We want to see Jesus. Amen. This great preacher George Buttrick was once on an airplane going back home from a, a conference that he had led. And during the flight, he pulled out his notepad and his Bible to work on his sermon for Sunday. And after a few minutes, the man sitting next to him spoke up. And said, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I can see how hard you're working at what you're working on right now. What, what do you do for a living? I'm a minister, Buttrick replied, and I'm writing my sermon for Sunday. Ah, said the person next to him, religion. I can't say I'm much into the complexities of religion myself. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, the golden rule. That's about all the religion I need. I see, said Buttrick. And what do you do? I'm an astronomy professor. I teach at the university. Ah, said Buttrick, astronomy. I can't say I know much about the complexities of astronomy. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. That's about all the astronomy I need. In life, religion, astronomy, engineering... We'd all love it to be simple and certain all the time, wouldn't we? We want complex ideas to be boiled down to the least common denominator. I think it's human nature to want to break things down. Make it simple. Just make it plain, preacher. We long for certainty. American journalist H.L. Mencken had this to say about quick fixes and certainty. Every complex problem has a solution which is simple, direct, plausible, and wrong. Right? Now I want to ask you something. Can you think of a time you were really certain about somebody or something or an organization when you really thought you had it all figured out, but then your sense of certainty was called into question? That ever happened to you? It's not a great feeling, is it? Oh, I'm sure about this. And then you just run into it like a wall. and You have to rethink the whole thing because it's a little more complicated than you thought. That can be disappointing. That can be disappointing. And yet, if the stories of our tradition, the gospel stories, teach us anything, it's that when we let go of our, uncert of our certainty... That's when God begins the hard work of transformation among us. 
I am certain that Brookhaven, Mississippi is the nicest, most beautiful place to live in the whole world. I spent my first, well, most of my first 18 years right there in the county seat of Lincoln County. And it really was a great place. I don't think we ever locked our doors, Liz. Do you remember ever doing that? Probably should have, but we never did. Um, I remember getting on a bike and riding to Progressive Men's Shop where Pat Hennington owned a clothing store. And my mom or dad would say, Pat, Bruce is about to come up there. I'd be like eight or nine years old. Let him get two pair of blue jeans and a couple golf shirts for school. I mean, it was like Mayberry. Then I had that whole image sort of shattered years later after I learned about a guy named Ditsy Smith who was shot and killed on the steps of the Lincoln County Courthouse. Point blank, Saturday morning, 1955, World War I veteran with a handful of absentee ballots for his black neighbors he wanted to vote without them getting harassed, without their jobs getting threatened. Sixty people were drinking Coke and eating peanuts and hanging out on the lawn, waiting for their wives to finish their shopping, to go back to Bogachita, to Enterprise, to West Lincoln, to Lloyd Star. And not one person in the light of day Several were within 30 feet. Not one person came forward to say what they saw. Didsy Smith, World War I hero, dying in the holly bushes. That really shattered me. It made me rethink Homeseeker's Paradise. Yeah, it was perfect for me in the day, but not for everybody in Brookhaven. And I had to rethink a lot because I wish somebody had told me that story just a little bit earlier, but that's one of those stories that you sweep under the rug, right? Like sundown laws and other things. Tomorrow they're going to honor Ditsy on a sign, and it's really close to First Avenue. And that's the place, if you're not the right caller, you better not be caught west of that avenue, or you'd be in big, big trouble. Sometimes you have to rethink things. Sometimes things aren't quite so simple as we make them out to be. Now at the beginning of this passage that we're reading today, Jesus doesn't just invite the disciples to get up into a boat and on the other side. He commands them. He makes them go. The Greek word says He compelled them to go. And they aren't going to some familiar vacation spot. He sends them to the other side, to an unfamiliar place, to a people they don't know, to a destination that was not particularly appealing. But they go. They listen to Jesus. And sure enough, the storm picks up. Uh, this isn't so unusual, and it seems these experienced fishermen can handle the storm, but the wind prevents them to getting to the other side. Early the next morning, Jesus walks on water toward them. And they are physically and emotionally exhausted because they can't go anywhere. They see somebody walking toward them on the water and they panic. They can only assume it's a ghost. And that's what terrifies them, right? The uncertainty of who this is and what this could mean. But then Jesus calls out to him, 
take heart, it's just me, it's just me. And you can imagine their collective sigh of relief when they know that their Lord and Savior are walking toward them in the midst of this storm. But Jesus' words are not good enough for who? Peter. He just has to open his mouth, right? He's that guy always that, that doesn't, even, doesn't even raise his hand in class before he starts. In other words, you could name him Bruce if you wanted to. And there's Peter. He doesn't hesitate. Lord, if it's you... Command me to come out to you on water. Now that's bold, Peter. But that's what he says. And give Peter credit for at least knowing this. He believed that the way to find out if this guy walking on water was really Jesus is to see if he'll invite Peter to step out of the boat in the dark and come closer toward him on the dangerous dark waters. And you know, that's the truth. He's right. Jesus... If it's really you, then I know that you will be with me when I walk out into the dangerous waters. When I was a kid back in Brookhaven, back in the 70s, I remember walking to a playground. And I remember there they were, the monkey bars. Y'all remember the monkey bars? They, it was like a horizontal ladder, you know, that you went across. And I remember all these older kids getting on those monkey bars. Boop, boop, boop. Boom. And they were going across it like a breeze. And I tried it and my hands were just I was too little and I would fall off and scrape my knee. I'd get real frustrated. I'd do it again. And one week I got to the third rung. The next week the fourth. The next week the fifth. Finally I was just like I, I thought of myself as a national champion monkey bar, you know, uh, gymnast. You remember those playgrounds back in the 70s? How did our parents let us do all that. Remember that? The slide that was like 15 feet high, right? That would burn you on the way down, you know? How about the seesaw? What kind of cruel person ever invented the seesaw? Did you get duped too where you were sitting on it and the other person on the other side jumped off of it and he went bam, you know, like that? I was like, what, what were they thinking, right? What were they thinking? Of course, nowadays, you've got little rubber Pieces of pallets on the ground, you know. No asphalt. No monkey bars. Back in my day, you know, that's what I kind of think. Like, you know, everything's so much safer now. And I'm glad. I mean, nobody needs a 20-foot slide. I get that. Um, I get that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to keep our children safe on the playground. But, you know, studies have shown that when we make the environment too safe... And when we make things too easy for our kids, they don't have the chance to take risks. They don't have a chance to push themselves literally to new heights. And as hard as it is for us to let the children in our lives take risks and to feel pain and to fail, it's only when our children face their fears, right, that they find out that they can handle adversity. So sometimes, at one point, all of our kids are going to have to get out of that boat, right? It's only when they take risk and discover their capacity for resilience and problem solving. That's what strengthens our young people. There's a commencement speaker not long ago who said to his graduates, developing a skill is painful. It's difficult. And that's part of the satisfaction. 
You will only find meaning in what you struggle with. Let me say that again. You will only find meaning in what you struggle with. You see, Peter, I think, has been paying attention to what Jesus has been preaching, right? All those parables, how a, how a seed is, uh, it starts as small, but it grows into a tree. Or even directly when he says, let those who follow me deny themselves, pick up the cross and follow me. In other words, every now and then, I'm going to have to ask you to step out of the boat. You're going to have to jump up there, says Jesus, and grab those monkey bars. And you're going to get scuffed up a little bit. Peter has learned to follow Jesus, that to follow Jesus is to struggle with uncertainty. And like Peter, sooner or later on the journey of faith, we're going to discover that anything worth having, anything worth having in this life is going to cost us something. Money, time, effort, even safety at times. Like Peter, we'll discover that to take the next step toward Jesus is always going to be a step in the dark without the boat. Following Jesus feels a lot more like monkey bars than it does like rubber pallets and low slides. Amy Redwine, she's a Presbyterian pastor. She says that it's her job as a minister, listen to this. Her job as a minister is to help members of her church hit their midlife crisis as early as possible. I don't know if, I don't know if, I don't know if I'd say that out loud if I were her, but that's what she said. Because you see, a midlife crisis is what happens when everything we thought was certain is suddenly thrown into question. When the winds come up and the waves hit and we have more questions than we have answers, then we're right in the middle of that crisis. A midlife crisis looks like 12 men in a boat screaming in the midst of a terrible storm. Jesus approached them in a whole new way. And this is what can open us up to the powerful work of God. If you feel like the waves are high and the wind is steep, maybe God's got you right where God wants you. It's not easy. But that's where you're going to discover not only who God is, but what we're capable of when we walk toward God in the storm. What are you capable of? And who is God? There was a group of Germans who uh, in the 50s were touring the United States and they were touring all the um, churches, American churches. They wanted to know about American churches. So they were there and, uh, and afterwards they were asked to, to give their opinion about American churches. Oh, the music was lovely. The, the buildings are beautiful. But we found that what was in, most interesting is, is that your pews were cushioned and so were your sermons. A little too safe. A little too safe. Peter gets it. He recognizes that this is how God works. God disrupts our usual ways of thinking to change our thinking about who God is and what we're capable of. And sure enough, it works. For a moment, Peter is walking on water. He's taking a risk and he's doing the moonwalk on the water, right? But then Peter gets distracted by the winds and he begins to sink. But notice this about Peter. He doesn't turn and swim back to the boat and he doesn't just sink like a rock. He calls on Jesus to save him. Lord, save me. In other words, he turns his eyes on Jesus. 
Let's call it the monkey bars of faith. Invitation, disruption, change, and discovery. We don't have to ride the boat, to weather the storm, or to walk on water alone. God may disrupt everything that you got in everything that you are, and the winds may go up, and the waves may be high. And you know, God sometimes is going to call us out of the boat, off the cushions, into the Monday through Saturday world to do something bold and something that just might cost you. But God is with us. Close enough that even when we come face to face with everything we thought we knew, that's the very place we see God. Not in the comfort of certainty, but in the wonder of love. That's our storm. And Jesus is always there. God can get us through any storm. So maybe this week, try out the monkey bars. And maybe get scuffed up a little bit. And take a risk where God is calling you to do it. Amen. Let us pray.